Hi, and welcome to the latest Trending Tech Podcast. I'm Jeremy Cowan, co-founder of the websites iot-now.com, vanillaplus.com, and The Evolving Enterprise. Now, we recently came across a new fraud analysis called the Voice Intelligence Security Report. It's by Pindrop, a London-based computer and network security company. And I am delighted to say we're joined today by Pindrop's Director of Research, Dr. Nikolai Gaubich, who can tell us later about the security threats they found and how telcos and companies should respond. So, Nikolai, welcome to the Trending Tech Podcast. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be here today. Good to have you. First of all, we're going to have a look at some of the latest tech news, Nikolai, uh, across the piece. What have you come across? Uh, so, you know, the, I was looking back at 2021 and, and two of the most interesting uh, pieces that came out for me, uh, one was the Anthony Bourdain story where there was a documentary uh, made with him posthumously, and parts of the documentary were actually synthesizing his voice using the so-called deepfake technology. Uh, and I found that uh, fascinating because, of course, it uh, uh, it caused a lot of stir uh, of opinions of whether that's ethical, whether it's not, and you know, it, it almost feels like a dystopian story. It's it's come out in. Uh, Stories like Black Mirror, you know, reviving people through technology, which is what what happened here. That to me was was one of the sort of speech technology highlights of 2021. Uh, and you know, the the second story I had was very much related to that, where fraudsters use the cloned voice and uh, were, were detected to uh, to be involved in a 35 million dollar bank heist. Right, so that's that's a massive thing, and 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 the fascinating part is that these two articles are linked by the same technology. On yeah. the one hand, of course, there's a lot of conversations whether it's ethical, whether we should do this, but it's rather innocent. Uh, and then on the other end, you have the same technology being used in a in a pretty malicious way. Yeah. The thing that struck me about the Anthony Bourdain uh, issue was that they never actually indicated in the program that this was what they'd done. It was only uh, explained afterwards. And I know that one of the reviewers felt uh, particularly misled and was pretty scathing about it. Uh, my my feeling about that, and I don't know what, how you feel, Nikolai, is that you know if there's a, an intention to deceive as there clearly is in the uh, attempted theft and fraud, um, then every time there's an attention to, to deceive, then that's a misuse. Uh, otherwise, it seems like an interesting tool for all sorts of uses. No, that, that's right. And, and uh, in the larger scheme of things, I'm a strong believer that when technology is used to synthesize humans in, in whatever way or form, uh, that should be clearly indicated. Yeah. And as the report said about the uh, attempted fraud, which I think happened in Dubai, didn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it? It all sounded a bit Mission Impossible. I, I don't want to seem wise after the event, but what would you say were the key mistakes made by the bank in this case in um, allowing the fraud or allowing partial fraud? And, and what lessons should we learn from this and from the voice cloning attack on a UK company that failed in 2019? 
So, you know, I don't want to start talking about mistakes at this point in time. This is uh, still a very rare occurrence. And it is, uh, I think if this happened on a daily basis and, and folks haven't taken care to protect themselves against attacks like that, then, then you can start talking about mistakes. Yeah. Here, it's, it's really, uh, you know, you're, you're one of the first targets of, of this type. Uh, and what we should do is, is rather look at what we can learn from this and be extra suspicious. This has been my, uh, my general trend of talking to, uh, to the public uh, over the last couple of years in particular, because we've seen many um, sort of phone-related attacks on, on individuals, on banks. And the point is, be extra suspicious. Uh, yeah. you know, if, if there is something in your conversation that uh, makes you feel slightly uncomfortable, better act more on the cautious side than, than not. Fair enough. And uh, particularly when one's dealing with subjects uh, where sums of money as large as $35 million, that's an that's astonishing right. amount of money to be uh, uh, at risk with such a technology. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's absolutely correct. The other serious news story that I'd like to discuss uh, is sort of slightly outside uh, this area, but still of interest to uh, many of us, I'm sure. Um, And it appeared in the UK-based Telegraph online. It was headlined, smart meter tariffs now massively overpriced, quote unquote, as gas prices triple. And I think the underlying problem is probably pretty well known. I mean, demand for natural gas is outstripping supplies uh, for a variety of reasons, as Europe replenishes stocks that dwindled in a hard winter 12 months ago, and particularly following high demand in Asia and China. Um, So I know gas bills have climbed 12% in some markets in recent months and look likely to jump another 50% in the next quarter in some markets too. So in the IoT sector, we're familiar with smart meter tariffs and once seen as the future of energy pricing, but now they're becoming ineffective as prices have risen across the market. As the new report said, so-called time-of-use smart meter tariffs, which lower the price of electricity when demand is low and increasing the cost in times of high usage, these were sold as one of the key benefits of the smart meter rollout. Um, Normally, deals like this could save the typical family about £200 or almost $300 a year compared with average variable tariffs. And right now, gas prices don't change during off-peak hours. So the Telegraph report quoted Joel Stark of the metering and data provider Stark as saying, these kinds of benefits formed a huge part of the original business case for smart meters. Those benefits in turn justify the exploding costs of the rollout. If they aren't happening, why are we plowing on with this massively overpriced solution? Nicola, I, I guess smart metering will prove its value once again when prices stabilize and fall. Uh, it, I don't want to criticize smart metering as a technology. It's, it's a very valid one, but uh, it does seem to be under some pressure at the moment. Yeah, and I think we're going to see these doubts in technology always, right? So whenever there is something new, folks are looking for uh, signs of uh, weaknesses or whether something actually works as it should. Uh, and it's it's difficult for, for anything, whether it's human or, or non-human, uh, to cope with uh, big glitches, 
in, yeah. in the system, right? And uh, the, the gas prices are another big glitch. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure it's necessarily a fair uh, fair judgment at, at this point in time. Yeah, it's too soon to call call a judgment. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, um, perhaps it's time to look at our main story for this podcast, which is the Voice Intelligence Security Report. Nikolai, COVID-19 has hurt businesses in many ways, uh, but remote working has impacted companies during the pandemic, sometimes for the better and sometimes for worse. But have our newly distributed workforces just created new opportunities for communications fraud? So, yeah, that's definitely uh, one one line of thinking amongst the public in general. Uh, and it is indeed interesting, you know, how companies had to cope with this to, to make sure that uh, they can continue ensure security that they otherwise have on site. Uh, however, from, from my perspective, one of the things that uh, was very interesting with this uh, pandemic uh, was that voice and telephony actually for a long time became our only means of communicating with people face-to-face interactions disappeared for for quite some time and and what that led to was that contact centers call centers were swamped with calls there were uh, you know in some cases uh, i believe up to 800 percent increase in incoming calls wow and what then happened, interestingly, is that many fraudsters were deterred from calling call centers uh, because waiting times got longer. And if you're a fraudster who uh, are in the hope to uh, you know, socially engineer your way through to, to a bank account, having to wait for an hour to maybe succeed starts to uh, reduce their return on investment pretty significantly. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, of course, during during this pandemic, there were many other uh, sort of uh, money streams that opened up for fraudsters to attack. Uh, so, so it was very interesting from our point of view at Pindrop is that uh, the fraud rates actually went down. However, having said that, the, the fraudsters that did continue were much more prepared. And, and so they were much more sort of high level high worth attacks happening i i hadn't appreciated that um i i thought that deep fakes are just image and video related but from reading your uh recent report there's also voice synthesis making a machine sound like somebody and voice conversion making a human talker sound like someone else can you explain a bit about what deep fakes are in the round and the risks that fraudsters can exploit with these capabilities please sure maybe i'll take a couple of steps back uh, for for the yeah. benefit of, of of our listeners so you know the before it was called a fake the sort of curiosity and science of converting voices and synthesizing voices has been around for, for decades in, in many aspects. And uh, as you clearly explained it, there are sort of two strands of this. One is to synthesize voice, so make a machine sound like somebody else, or the other one is uh, to change somebody's voice to sound like somebody else. And the implications of the two uh, are, are somewhat different. Uh, but... What happened uh, in, in the last uh, sort of four or five years is the rise of uh, deep learning technology. Uh, 
and the application of deep learning technology to the problems of voice synthesis and uh, voice conversion is what resulted in the so-called deep fakes. Um, and, you know, we already talked about two uh, occurrences of, of these deep fakes last year yeah. um, and, and the implications of those, right? It's, it's becoming more challenging uh, with, with the rise of technology like this to trust who you are speaking to on the other end, right? And uh, this holds for voice, this holds for video. Um, and in some ways, uh, I, I find that with voice, it's more tricky. With, with video deepfakes that we have seen, uh, they're still quite glitchy, right? So you, you can, they're plausible, but, but you can see that something is not right there. Whilst with the voice, if done properly, uh, you, can, you can actually start getting to a point where uh, for a human, it's tricky to hear that. Yeah. Um, and I believe strongly that it's, it's something that we're going to see more of. I'm now worried about how you can trust that I am really who I say, say I am on this call, but we'll have to move past that. I just take it from me. Um, <laughs> That's right. So is the threat posed by deep fakes and voice synthesis uh, a real widespread risk right now, or is this still um, something that is uh, a minority area of concern? I believe it's still in its infancy. So uh, it's, it's there, but it still requires uh, quite a lot of skill to pull it off. Uh, so it's not a readily available tool that that you can download and and uh, and run. But that's not to say that it's not going to be soon, right? And then uh, uh, speaking of worrying, uh, you know, being part of a podcast like this can be worrying because that <laughs> means our voices are in the public domain, which is what is needed to create a synthetic voice. Aye, <laughs> right? yes. uh, just, just, just putting it out there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I believe it's a real threat simply because looking at how fraudsters behave today, they take to all means they can, anything that is available to them to, uh, to commit fraud or facilitate fraud. And it's not far from this being a favorite tool, I can see. Yeah. So looking at the wider telecoms arena, what are the most common types of fraud at the moment? And what can telcos and enterprises do now to better protect themselves and their customers? So uh, the deep fake world is, is rather advanced compared to what, what happens in the fraud world today. So the telephone is really uh, one of the favorite tools of fraudsters to uh, either directly commit fraud if they can, or more often even facilitate fraud, which does not actually happen on the phone. Uh, so th the benefit of the phone for many of the fraudsters is that they feel anonymous, right? They make a phone call. Your, your phone doesn't necessarily have to be connected to your identity anymore. And you can talk to uh, somebody in a call center, usually with hundreds, sometimes thousands of call center agents. So mm. uh, it feels safe. And then on the other end, when you speak to a human, you have the opportunity to uh, try and trick them to give you information they shouldn't be. And that's partly the reason why, why fraudsters are, uh, are in, in favor of this. Now, it can be something from very small uh, things like uh, uh, a fraudster calling to check an account balance, which seems very innocent, 
very difficult to detect, actually, unless you have the appropriate technology. But what they do effectively is to confirm that the information they have about a bank account is correct and that it's worthwhile to actually doing something further with that bank account. Right, uh, so these are these are the, the type of, of, of activities that that you often see, um, and I can give you a, a story of a of a real fraudster that I I like very much that we came across, and it kind of summarizes the behavior, and and that's a guy we, we dubbed Postman Pat. <laughs> so so Postman Pat would call a bank and order uh, a replacement bank card and and replacement pin number to the address on file which is a rather simple and innocent type of activity you can do over the phone. Mm -hmm. Then he would intercept the physical mail to pick up that card because he is effectively the only person knowing that there is a new card coming. Yeah. Right. So this is, this gives you an example of how the, uh, how the phone can be used as a tool. And it can be very simple or it can be, as you've shown already, extremely complex. Exactly. So uh, I don't want this to be all doom and gloom, so in the best case scenario, how often are fraudsters actually being caught? I mean, for example, what percentage of attempted frauds are identified as fraud attempts? And do you know what percentage lead to identification or prosecution of the fraudsters? There are so many questions in that question. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'm going to try and disentangle I'll that. Unpack that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to start with, identifying fraud without the help of technology over the phone is, is very difficult. So if you imagine a call center that has uh, tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of calls per day, being able to quickly identify whether something is risky or not is virtually impossible. And in particular, since call center agents' objective is not to listen and try to detect fraudsters, they're trying to give good customer service to, yeah. to us callers, right? And, and that's a fortunate thing because the last thing we want is to be treated as fraudsters every time we call a bank. Uh, but that's the, the benefit. And you asked earlier, you know, what can companies do and businesses do? Technology gives you this ability. It gives you the ability to actually detect fraud within very short amount of time of the call. So usually we take about 15 seconds to give you a risk score to tell you there's something risky about this call. Wow, that is incredible. And using that, uh, you're able to actually detect about 85 to 90% of the fraud attempts into a, into a call center. So starting from very close to zero to 85, 90% is a pretty huge leap yeah. using, uh, using artificial intelligence-driven uh, technology. Yeah. Um, um, is it possible to say with any confidence how often fraudsters are identified or prosecuted? I find it difficult. Uh, I, I don't have any numbers. And uh, personally, I'm not involved in, in, in pin drop. I'm not really involved in that side of things. So what we no, do is, enough. as I said, we give a score. Uh, but one interesting thing to think about when it comes to prosecuting fraudsters is that uh, fraudsters don't necessarily have to be located in one particular place, right? Fraud is a global activity. Mm. And, and so you can have a fraudster from the other side of the, uh, the globe attacking a bank in, in the UK. Yeah. Who would prosecute them? How, how, how would you find them, right? So, so I think it's, it's a rather tricky business. Yeah. 
it does sound as though we need more integration, a forum in which the global banks and global communications companies can get together with companies such as yours to uh, identify ways of uh, deterring this, even if it's not always uh, catching people. Deterrence is the first line, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm a a big proponent on uh, collaboration because fraudsters collaborate, right? Yeah. Fraudsters share information on a global level. And so should we who try to uh, yeah. ask them. That's a scary prospect. Well, uh, this has been really an eye-opener for me because I know so little about fraud and so uh, little about how it's been um, developing in recent years. So thank you very much for sharing that. Um, We've just got time before we close, Nikolai, for What the Tech, which is uh, our chance to talk about uh, some of the things that amused or amazed us. And I loved your story about... um, Anthony uh, Bourdain's uh, video. The thing that uh, I really liked was the story from Reuters shown on CNN and a number of other platforms highlighted uh, as Google Maps helped Italian police capture mafia fugitive in Spain. And apparently Italian police have now caught a top mafia fugitive who's been on the run for no less than 20 years. And they did it thanks to Google Maps. Giacchino Gamino, I don't know if I've pronounced his name correctly, but I don't suppose he's going to come after me for that. Um, A 61-year-old Sicilian mafiosi, he escaped from jail in Rome in 2002, was sentenced in 2003 in his absence to life imprisonment for an earlier murder. Um, And after a lengthy investigation, Gamino was tracked to a town close to Madrid, but it was only when a man fitting his description was seen standing in front of a fruit shop on a Google Maps street view that investigators knew they were looking in the right place. So Gamino is now in custody in Spain and the authorities hope to bring him back to Italy by the end of February. So um, a quick tip of the hat to Google for their role in this. And I say also a quick chapeau from me to Reuters, who ended their report by saying they had been unable to locate a representative of Gamino to comment. (laughs) (laughs) That made me smile. So there's no end of uses for street view, Nikolai, and perhaps not always in directions that we might have thought. That's right. No, I mean, this is a fascinating story of accidental use of technology, let's say. Uh, So, uh, yeah. I love it. Sadly, that is all we have time for today. We're going to be back with another trending tech podcast very soon. Don't forget to like the podcast wherever you found us and please share it with friends. It won't cost you a thing and it really helps boost our ranking. So thank you if you can. But that's it. I've been Jeremy Cowan talking to Dr. Nikolai Galbich of Pindrop. Thanks for all your input, Nikolai. Thanks so much, Jeremy. It's been great. Great to have you here. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you too. Please join us again soon for the next Trending Tech podcast. Bye for now.